0: Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 188, part two of the talk given by Richard Rohr, entitled The Contemplative Vision.
1: Uh, Christianity was just doomed to keep dividing, dividing, dividing. Each group seeking a perfection that they were never promised and in fact will keep you from salvation. You know, I remember watching the Navajo ladies weaving their rugs and they would always tell me, now Father, look, this is the imperfection. And they sewed into a rug a necessary imperfection and they said, that's what makes it perfect. The, the, the native peoples have, are much closer to the Semitic Oriental mind than the Western mind. The Western mind is always dualistic. It's either or. Right? Uh, and, and for us, perfection is the exclusion of imperfection, which doesn't exist. It is impossible. That's a mathematical concept. And now mathematicians even know better and can deal with, with, uh, with mystery mathematics, but we can't. But for for the native peoples, the Navajo peoples at least, what perfection is, is precisely the ability to include imperfection. That's perfection. And so when you see a perfect Navajo rug, it always has an imperfection in it. My gosh, pure gospel, pure gospel. And you'd think we who had gazed upon the wounded one, the imperfect, broken one who carried the sin of the world, uh, would have seen that he did not exclude sin. He carried it. He held it. He absorbed it. And in that transformed it. Whereas what most of us do is we try to eliminate it. Remember some years ago I was teaching uh, to a bunch of Anglican bishops and and priests in, in England it was of all places in Glastonbury. If you've been to England, uh, Glastonbury is sort of their new age capital, sort of like Santa Fe or Sedona. And, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I was talking to them, I don't know, something in this direction, but trying to help them as preachers themselves to maybe understand the mystery of, of the cross a little better. And uh, I wasn't doing too well in the morning session. I could tell I was going around it and wasn't hitting it on the mark. And so I, I decided to take a walk in downtown Glastonbury. And uh, during the morning talk, they had had, a, as they often do, a, a lovely crucifix sitting right on the table where I was speaking. And in walking in through Glastonbury, I saw in one of the store windows one of these uh, similar statues that I had as a little boy in Kansas. And I bet a lot of you did too. The three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil. And then my mother would explain it to me. And I always remembered the three monkeys. And this was sort of our, you know, morality. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. But in Glastonbury, they had added a fourth monkey. (laughs) Yeah, you figured it out. He was covering his genitals, right? (laughs) I guess. I guess that was supposed to be do no evil. You know, do, I don't, I don't, but whatever. Uh, If so, it's interesting that we localize sin there. But uh, at any rate, so I I ran into the store, I bought it, and when I came back for the. And uh, and, uh, so I placed on the table the, the cross on this side, and I placed the four monkeys over here, and I. And I, I told these wonderful Anglican bishops and priests. Now I said, now be honest with me. What is your plan for overcoming evil in the world? Be honest. And they had to admit that their plan was the monkey plan. <laughs> you understand? It's, it's all Leviticus 16 to 25. Separation from. Separate yourself from the bad people, the evil people, the, the Islamic people, the gay people, the all that's gonna save the world. Just get rid of the opposition, you know? That's the way in my experience, I've been a priest 37 and a half years. I would say 95% of Catholics at least think that way. They don't know the gospel. I, I'm that must sound very arrogant, but they don't. That's not the gospel. They still believe a pagan morality system I'll call the four monkeys, right? Separate yourself from evil and you'll be good. All kind of purity codes and debt codes that Jesus showed no regard for, no interest in it. He went among the sinners To, to overcome that very illusion. But our plan is over here, the cross, where Jesus, as Paul says in two different places, became sin identified with it, entered into solidarity with the woundedness of the world, right? And in that, transformed it. (laughs) That's an entirely different model for overcoming the sin of the world. And I say it to you here because brothers and sisters, that's what you're doing in your contemplative sit every morning or afternoon or both. I often have found after my morning sit, and I, I bet I'm speaking for at least some of you here, I wake up or come to or open my eyes, and I'm actually more negative or irritated than when I sat down. Oh, this is so humiliating, because I thought, well, didn't I let go of all that stuff? Well, you did let go of it uh, from the unconscious, and now it's just bubbling up. You know, I, I just... I'm often, if I be honest about my emotions, I'm often negative and irritated, not always, but often after my contemplative sit. Because once you take that lead lid off of all which is unresolved, that which you hate, those who've hurt you, it comes up for healing, really, but it comes up. And I'm convinced that's why a lot of people don't continue on the journey. Because they don't know what to do with, with all of that uh, I think you call it Thomas this discharging of the unconscious I experience it regularly but now I'm not scared by it anymore I realize that I, I've, I'm learning to be a holding tank instead of an exhaust valve mm-hmm. and, and, and I see Jesus on the cross as a magnificent the two nailed hands as an image of the holding tank where you hold it, and you don't need to resolve it. You don't need to explain it. You don't need to fix it. You sort of, you, you sort of weep over it. it. It has much more to do with the weeping mode than the fixing mode. And that's the place of solidarity with the pain of the world. You won't stand above it anymore. Your Christianity will not make you righteous, superior, and arrogant. It will not make you apart. It will insert you right at the center. Where, where you know I'm complicit in all the evil of the world. And you don't walk around thinking you're better than any group. You know better now, right? You know better now because you've seen the garbage come up, your negative thoughts, your petty, petty thoughts. I mean, that I'd be ashamed to confess to you right now. Just petty, self-serving observations. That You know, how am I looking? How much do people like me? Did they print my name big enough on my latest book, you know? <laughs> Just pathetic. You know, really? <laughs> but I'm, I'm confessing it because I know you have those thoughts too, All right. <laughs> It's just, you just want to weep for how insecure, fragile, needy we are, and that we want all this stuff. But once I go back to the center, I don't need it, it just rolls off my back, I don't need that stuff. If you're disconnected from the center, you do need it. You need to be noticed, you need to wear fancy clothes, you need to drive big cars, you need to think that your country's always right, You'll, you'll just be surrounded with illusions. And our politics is not going to change until we get beyond this dualistic mind, which is always the lowest level. Every level of consciousness, I'll try to talk about this a little more this afternoon, but gets less dualistic and less dualistic until you can be like Jesus, who says, My Father's Son rises on the good and the bad, His rain falls on the just and the unjust. Isn't that wonderful? But I've never found that statement, I'm sure it is somewhere, but I've never found that statement in in a papal encyclical, (laughs) Because you you, you can't make religion out of that, do you understand? How do you make religion out of a silly statement like that, you know? My father's sun shines on the good and the bad, his rain falls on the just and the unjust. You can't make a group out of that. You can't create an identity of that. You can't say the Roman Catholic Church is the only true church anymore. You know, you just, you don't know what to do with it, so we don't quote it, you know. (laughs) It's high-level thinking, and people at lower levels can't get it. They can't get non-dual thinking, which refuses to divide the field, but holds the enemy, holds the dark side, holds the sin of the world, recognizes I'm a piece of it, And I'm a part of it. That's redemption. That's a new creation. That's a new mind and a new heart. I want to end with a poem and then uh, a small exercise. This poem is from the woman I probably quote the most in poetry. I'm sure many of you have discovered her, Mary Oliver. She lives in Provincetown, Massachusetts. She's in her mid-70s now. She, like few poets, uh, teaches you how to see. And this particular poem is a marvelous example of it. And also I chose it especially for this group because of this theme of the good, the true, and the beautiful. This poem is called Snow Geese. Oh, to love what is lovely and will not last. That's a good poet. Right? In one line, she's talked about the two biggies. Right? Love and death. In one line. That's the, those are the two big themes of everything. Love and death. Oh, to love what is lovely and will not last. What a task to ask of anything or anyone. Yet it is ours. And not by the century or the year, but by the hour. One fall day... I heard above me and above the sting of the wind a sound I did not know, and my look shot upward. It was a flock of snow geese, winging it faster than the ones we usually see, and being the color of snow, catching the sun so they were in part, at least, golden. There's the beauty. I held my breath as we do sometimes, to stop time. And when something wonderful has just touched us, there's the good. As with a match which is lit and bright, but does not hurt in the common way, but delightfully, as if delight were the most serious thing you ever felt. The geese flew on. I have never seen them again. Maybe I will. Someday, somewhere, maybe I won't. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that when I saw them, I saw them. I saw them as through a veil. Secretly, joyfully, and clearly. For me, that's about as good a description of the contemplative mind as I can get and I can teach that to the most secular of audiences and they're brought in to the mystery what matters is that is that when I see something I see something all the way through and you're those people who are willing to see it all the way through and to see the divine center and to refuse to divide the field anymore and it is like seeing through a veil secretly why doesn't everybody see this it feels like a big revelation of a mystery. Joyfully, there's, there's an explosion of, of happiness when you see things truthfully in their goodness and in their beauty. And it comes across as a great clarity. Let me end by telling you uh, what I think is, is without doubt the most important thing I, I can tell you while I'm here. I use every occasion, every group, in any country to tell this in the last few years. Because I know most other things I'll say will probably be forgotten. And probably should be. (laughs) But but, uh, this one not. I talked about the convergence of science and religion. Uh, Late uh, in April every year, there is an international conference in Santa Fe, our, our capital in New Mexico and uh, it's on science and consciousness and each day they have four major speakers usually scientists uh, and these are the scientists who seem to me to be often filled with faith and after the second talk normally I have to go to my room I can't take anymore I'm brain dead it's it's too much it's too wonderful it's too true it's too good. It's too beautiful. <laughs> and two more, would, I would lose the first two if I absorbed any more. So I go back to my room to pray and to journalize about what I've just heard. And that was true several years ago when I went. On this second day, the second speaker was a Jewish rabbi. And uh, he pointed out to me what i bet some of you know. But he pointed out that a lot of Christians at least don't know this. He said, you know this commandment, not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, as you translated it in your King James translation, he said, uh, is a pretty poor translation. Because it's given you Christians the impression that the commandment is telling you not to say, God damn it. For some reason, that's the way we interpret it. Don't cuss. When I... (laughs) When I hear confessions in Albuquerque, gosh, all these sweet little Mexican-Americans, they all confess cussing. (laughs) I'm never quite sure what they mean by cussing, but uh, you'd think it was the big deal, you know, a really big deal. And uh, I'm sure we shouldn't walk around saying, God damn it, or God damn you, certainly we shouldn't. But he pointed out to us, that's not the meaning of the commandment. At all. He says, in fact, it doesn't even come close. It's a diversionary tactic. To keep you from something that's much more demanding. He said, the real meaning of the commandment, vanus, is to speak with emptiness. That whenever you use the name God, you will speak vainly. Do you understand? It's, it's empty. It's, you don't know what you're talking about. And so, what was taught, he said, to the Jews of that century brilliantly, keeping all religion humble, was don't even in your lifetime pronounce the sacred name once. Don't dare say it. The the sacred name Yahweh was never to be pronounced with your lips. Now, I had actually been told that. Then he told me another thing, which uh, I also had been told by a scripture scholar, of course, uh, or my Hebrew class, which I was never very good at, uh, that when you write Hebrew, you only write the consonants. Did you know that? And what it means to be an educated person is to fill in the vowels and to know what the vowels are to be filled in. That's that's what it means to be educated. Uh, That I also knew but here's what I want to give to you and could change your life he said do you realize that the consonants used in the sacred name Yahweh are the only Hebrew consonants that if pronounced correctly do not allow you to close your lips or to use your tongue and in fact if correctly pronounced they Perfectly replicate the sound of inhalation and exhalation. He did it about thirty-five times in that crowd. And in this gathering of PhDs, I started hearing weeping. They got it. What, what, what we've hidden from the masses, that God is as available as the breath. The one thing you've done and that you do even while you're sleeping. That God is as accessible as the air. That God is as given as the air is given. And there's no obstacle courses we can create by which we become worthy of the air. (laughs) It's the very nature of the breath. Now I see when the risen Christ returned in John's gospel, he breathes on them. (laughs) And why we, we gave as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, the great ruah, the great breath, the great spirit, the great givenness, the great accessibility of God. Do you know, brothers and sisters, without knowing it, the very first word you ever pronounced when you came out of your mother's womb was the name of God. (laughs) That The mother's listening for to hear that first little breath that your baby takes in. It is just spoken, as it were, inhaled and exhaled the name of God. Oh, my gosh, this is so good. (laughs) And that the last thing you'll do in the moment will come. You've perhaps been there at the deathbed of a person. It's a very special kind of breath. They pull it in real quickly. The last word you will pronounce is the name of God. I think our contemplative work is merely, as maybe simplistic as it might sound to some of you, is to merely communicate the truth of that mystery to the world. And it's almost so simple, it's hard to teach. (laughs) I mean, what people want to say is, it can't be that simple. It can't be that true. It can't be that beautiful. It, it, It can't be that good. But it is. And you now know it. Thank you.
0: So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey to maximize your potential to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose, and joy. So God bless, and stay safe.